Good morning. Glad you're here with us today. I'm wrapping up a series that we've called Better Together. We've been looking at how much better life is when we share it in a group that we can really enjoy. And I'm actually wrapping up, let me explain something, I'm wrapping up my part of the series. Next week we're going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary as a congregation and Harold Bullock is going to be here and he's going to wrap, wrap up the message series with his, uh, his message. I'm really looking forward to that. He's going to talk about what God can do as we work together as a team. Uh, and he's been very influential in my life, mentor for a long time. I'm really looking forward to your uh, being able to, to hear him and what he has to say. But we've been looking at how our enjoyment level is enhanced uh, as we connect with a group of people. Life happens in groups. It's the way God's designed it. We're pre-wired to be connected to groups of people. And when we find a whole community to connect in and serve God's purpose, there are compounding returns. This is, this is what God does. He, he chooses leaders. He forms a community and then he reaches through the community to the world around it. And this is his pattern you see in Scripture, and you see it going on still today, as he pulls people together and aims to work through them. When you plug in and connect and invest in a group, there are compounding returns, like making wise financial investments that grow over time. Uh, if you keep reinvesting, there's a tipping point when the, the returns compound and multiply exponentially. In my younger days, I was actually, this was explained to me in a class in my graduate school, and they, they told me, I'm from the 70s, so I sort of had an attitude toward the man, you know. I love the Sprint commercial where it says, you can stick it to the man that way, and he said, but you're the man. Oh, yeah, I forgot. But anyway, I'm sorry, I don't know if you even understand any of that, but I'm from the 70s and sort of grew out of the 60s a little bit, and we've, we've learned that a lot of that wasn't that great. But um, anyway, in my younger days, a guy would come through every year to our seminary class, and he would explain how important it is to start right now putting 25, at least $25 a month aside. Because if you just put that into your retirement... By the time you turn 65, which for me, that was a long way off, and by the time you turn 65, boy, you'd, you'd be doing well. The, the returns are going to multiply. You're going to be doing better financially. You know, you'll be taken care of. And I thought, where is this guy's faith? Okay, I cringe to even admit that I thought that, but I'm just telling you, I'm trying to be honest. That's what I thought. Where is his faith? He's not trusting God. He wants me to put money aside for the future, you know. And I thought, oh boy. Well, in my 50s, I realized that would have been wise. And I've also learned the difference between faith and presumption. Presumption occurs when you presume on God to take care of you in spite of your foolish choices. That's presumption. That's not faith. I was presuming on God at that point until about 15 years ago when the advisor team forced me to put money in retirement. So I'm behind. I'm, I'm living proof of what the guy was talking about. 
God is gracious, thankfully. I, I can trust God. But if I take it on the chin a couple times financially, I, I, I understand. It's not God's fault. It's my fault. It's the way it is. Wise investments financially over time build up. They, they do. And after pastoring this church for 25 years, I see the value of connecting and engaging in the church community over the long haul. The value is found in making what seems to be small investments in the lives of others on a daily and weekly basis. This eventually compounds and multiplies exponentially. This is what I've seen proven in the lives of people over the last 25 years. You find God's blessing inside of a church community in ways that you miss out if you never connect, if you never engage with people, and you never get involved and begin to make these small investments. There, there's a tremendous amount of blessing there. In this series, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to admit, I've been trying to convince you, I've been trying to talk you into getting connected if you're not, or staying connected to the church community because if you get connected in a meaningful way, there's a tremendous amount of value for you over the long haul in it. You will not experience it outside. We've been talking about these things. And I, I wanted to share you, with you some results from a survey I checked out this week uh, on the dividends of a church community. This is secular research. Uh, social scientists did this research and. Um, it's interesting how it lines up with Scripture. Um, the Bible tells us to get connected and contribute in a church community, and this research highlights some of the ways that we benefit from connecting. And it's just basically good for everybody. It's good for the cities that the churches are in. It's good for the people in the churches. It's good for the people around. This is what God intends. But for the city, there's an increased attractiveness and vitality. People, people look for cities, many people do, not everybody, but many people look for cities based on the churches that exist there that they can plug into, like a good school system. So that, that attracts people, and it, cre it creates a vitality to the surrounding city. There's help for hurting people that the church provides. There's improved marriages which stabilize the community because family, stable families create a stable community. This is what they found in the research. There's increased volunteering. You know, it makes no rational sense to volunteer. It doesn't. It's irrational to be involved in volunteer projects. You've probably felt it as you've, if you've ever volunteered or done something just for the good of someone else for free. If you're not used to doing that, you certainly have to get over this hump in your mind of that. That just makes no sense whatsoever. And it doesn't because there is a low personal benefit from volunteering in one sense. You don't get anything out of it. You just don't. But Jesus asked us to serve. That's what he did. He said at one point, I've come to serve, not to be served. And so you need to do, if you're going to follow me, you need to do the same thing. And so that's what we do. It's irrational, but it makes perfect sense once you begin to live a life of service. 
It, it, it makes sense when you live it. The average church supplies volunteers to at least, at least three different organizations. And there's a study in Philadelphia that said uh, the average church is, is worth about $115,000 a year to the community. Kind of interesting. But this, this is the value of, of a church in a community. It's, it's, there's compounding returns for everybody involved. Um, the, the churches in the city create a measurable decrease in crime and deviance, which is definitely helpful, isn't it? <laughs> it certainly is. I think the safest city in the world, or in the country, sorry, the safest city in the country for a long time has been La Mirada because of Biola there and the influence of, of that group of, of Christians. That's my take. Interesting. Um, there are also dividends that pays for individuals. We've been looking at some of these. This is a sh- may surprise you. There's an increase in civic skills, and what they mean by that is public speaking, networking, organizing. There's a lot of people who get involved in church life. They never wanted to speak in public whatsoever, and they end up doing it. And they're, they're able to develop some skill that way. And the, the skills that you grow in public speaking, networking, organizing, they spill over into other city efforts, and they, they realize the, the benefit of that. I became the foreman of a jury one time. Now, natively, I'm introverted. I would, I'm like a person, put me in a group of people, I'd rather hang out in the corner and be ignored. But because of my involvement in church life, this little group of people who were going to spend some time together deciding the fate of somebody decided I should be the foreman. That's, that's kind of how that, that works out. Uh, not a native thing that would have happened if I weren't involved in church life. Uh, there's a marked improvement in health. I've mentioned this all the way through the series. We are fully integrated systems. And so what, when we do what our maker instructs us to do, like plug in, connect relationally to a church community, everything is better. On the average, people involved in a church community live seven years longer than those who aren't. Here are the results from a survey of 7,000 people over nine years. And this, this is a quote from a book by John Ortberg. And it says, Researchers found that the most isolated people were three times more likely to die than those with strong relational connections. People who had bad health habits, such as smoking, poor eating habits, obesity, or alcohol abuse. But strong social ties lived significantly longer than people who had great health habits but were isolated. In other words, it's better to eat Twinkies with somebody else, (laughs) with a good friend, than eat broccoli alone. I I love that, man. I like a good Twinkie every once in a while. That's not bad. Now, I'm not encouraging you to smoke or drink or, or, or develop poor eating habits. If you have good ones, it'd be better to have good eating habits might double the effect of community on yourself. But um, that's the way, this is the way it works. When we do what our maker tells us to do, life goes better. It gets better. I love the title of this book. Everybody's normal till you get to know them. Is that true or what? You know, I don't know if I seem normal to you while I talk up here week after week, if you've been around. But you get to know me. I'm quirky. Okay? I'm not normal. Actually... There's only one normal person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. Everybody else is abnormal, subnormal compared to him. 
We need to learn to enjoy the differences. That's what I talked about last week. We rally around the one normal person who ever lived, Jesus Christ. We rally around him. We worship him. And we enjoy it if we do what he asked us to do and grow the community in a way that really brings enjoyment. When people connect and get involved in church community, studies have shown there's their uh, mental well-being is enhanced tremendously. There's a decrease in stress. There's increased self-respect, greater sense of hope and life purpose, and a decrease in the level of depression and, and suicide. Now, why do churches generate these dividends? Why is it? Because God's made it so that life is better together. Henry Cloud said this. He said, God created us with a hunger for a relationship, for a relationship with him and with our fellow people. At our very core, we are relational beings. The soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. That's true. It, it can't prosper without healthy connections with others. And the, the, the reverse is true. If we have connections that are tearing us apart or tearing us down, life is a bummer. But we need each other. We need this. God had Solomon write this down a few thousand years ago, Ecclesiastes 4. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their toil. A good return is another translation. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Synergy occurs. Two are better than one, and a group is a real party. <laughs> it's really good. Synergy happens. Synergy is the interaction of elements that when combined produce a total effect that is greater than the sum of the individual elements or contributions. Synergism, compounding returns. This is what happens. Synergy happens in all kinds of ways when we connect in church life and keep making the small investments in the lives of others in a way that, that God wants us to. It happens in, in all kinds of ways. And another benefit, if you fall down, you can get picked up. There's someone there to help you up. And we should expect to stumble. I like the Bible because it's so real. It just kind of lays it out there. And especially Jesus. He dealt with what really is. In Luke 17, 1, he said, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It's impossible. What he's saying is, it's impossible to go through life without dealing with things that could trip up your faith. It's just, you're, you're going to face all kinds of things in life that could cause you to stumble and fall. And so we need to expect this. I talked about the obstacle course, how last week we talked about obstacles of living social, and how people and what goes on between our ears are the obstacles to living social. And church life and relating in groups is, is sort of like an obstacle course at any point it's easy to fall down and just stop and get off the course. But growth happens as you stay on the course and continue to work through the obstacles and experience life in the middle of a community. It's very easy to drift away from attending church. Very easy. 
But it's more difficult to drift if you have caring friendships that you've developed, you've engaged, you've connected, you've been investing in people, you've allowed them to invest in you, and you're connected. Very hard to drift. It's, it's harder to fall without getting picked up in that, in that instance. So we should expect that. The Bible shows that God intends for the church to make a unique contribution to our lives. Now, you, you find the contribution. It's interesting. This is also backwards and somewhat irrational. It's not like we normally think. But we experience the contribution to our lives that church community makes as we decide to invest in others, as we make the small investments in the lives of others on a daily and weekly basis, as the opportunities arise, then we begin to experience the contribution of being in a church community. The church is unique. There, there is nothing like it in the world. We tend to put it in an irrelevant category in our country. But it's a very important piece of, of the way life works as God intends. It's unique and it contributes in our lives in ways that nothing else will, the church community. And we realize the rewards from it as we contribute to others. Now let's check this out. How do we do that? How does this work? What, what's the Bible say? Hebrews 10, 23 through 25. Let us hold... Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, why would it say that? Because we tend to waver. We, we tend, like Jesus said, we, we can get tripped up. But hold fast because he who promised is faithful. And this is connected to that. This is how we keep from wavering. And when we are wavering, we get strengthened. We consider, in this group of people in the church community, we consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The, here's the aim of relating in a church community, to motivate one another to love and good works. That's, that's the outcome. That's the desired result of getting together in a group, according to God in Hebrews 10. This is what he wants. He wants us to motivate this toward this. This is what life groups are about. This is what Sunday mornings are about. This is what Church of the Valley is about. We want to motivate one another to live a life that pleases God. One key way we do that is make these small investments. Now, I need to confess, and you may not be surprised, I don't wake up in the morning thinking of all the ways, with my mind swirling, of all the ways that I can do love and good works to the people around me. I tend to wake up in the morning and think, oh, I got to do that today. I got to do this. And how can I get the people on board with me to help? That's, that's my native deal. But if I learn to turn myself inside out and think of ways that I can show love and do good works to the people around me as I have opportunity, life gets good. It, it's, a, it's a good thing. So since I'm not natively wired that way, I need the motivation to do it. I, I need the help. A pattern of love and good works is, is the path to the best kind of life I can have. Jesus showed us this. <laughs> this, is, this is what he showed us, the only normal person to ever live. 
It's irrational, but it's true. The more we give our lives away, Jesus said, the more we find it. We experience God's blessing the most when we contribute to the good of the people around us. This is how we tap into the compounding returns. Now, how do we do that? Let's look at some of the key words in the passage I just read. First one is consider. To consider means to exercise your mind. So when we get together, we should be thinking about how do I motivate other people to love and good deeds? How do I do that? Maybe a good question to ask is, what do I do that demotivates people to love and good deeds? If I get in the group and I'm thinking about, how can I impress them with my knowledge or my wit or my charm or whatever it is, that, that's just a, it's not going to motivate people. It's going to repel potentially, probably. If I'm, if I'm getting in the group and I'm thinking, how can I get my needs met? How, how, can I, how can I work this around so that they know what's going on in me and what's happening with me and so that they can meet my needs? Now, sometimes we need to be honest about what's going on because we need help. I'm not saying don't be honest and let people know what's going on. But if that time after time is what's on my mind, how can these people meet my needs? You know, we kind of become like a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> And it, it just, it's, it, doesn't, it doesn't help. It doesn't. We don't experience what God intends. If I shift and I begin to think, how do I motivate others to do the right thing? Then I begin to ask the right question. How do I do that? I refuse to do the things that demotivate. Grumbling, complaining, backbiting, or demotivating. Holding a grudge and making people pay with a silent treatment. Very demotivating. Putting them down. Getting out the verbal sword to have a fight to show who's the wittiest and who can one-up the other. Put-downs are demotivating. <clears throat> Things that motivate. Build up. Strengthen people with your words. Use a filter to not say things that tear people down, but only the things that build them up. I need that filter. We've got to watch the things that tear down and demotivate. Jesus said, woe to those who do this. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't be the stumbling block. But set your heart to motivate and build up by using words that bless and encourage and strengthen. Having a you-can-do-it attitude as people are struggling with things. Being forgiving and letting things go rather than continually going back to the thing that hurt, the thing that was said, just repeating a matter. It isolates. That's what Scripture says. Repeating matters isolates friends. It, it sets you apart. It doesn't, it doesn't connect you to them. I read a book one time on loyalty, uh, loyalty and disloyalty. That was the title of it. And in the book, he said, wounded people... Uh, are disloyal people. And I've, as I thought about that and began to observe, I found that to be true. Because people who have been wounded and haven't forgiven the person who's wounded them, ha they have a wound that festers. They don't want people to get close because they might touch it or hurt it, and they keep them at a distance. So it's very important to forgive, to experience God's forgiveness, and to forgive people around you 
so that you can have healthy relationships. But that's how we motivate. We forgive and we let it go. We set a good example. So we consider, we think about these things. What am I doing that demotivates? What can I do that motivates? Next word is stir. And it carries the idea in the Greek that it was originally written in of agitation like a washing machine. And, and for me, it happens on the inside, just that, that washing cycle. I don't know what cycle it's called, but the agitation cycle in the washing machine. That's how it feels inside when you get stirred. When you get spur, another translation is spur. It literally means to incite, like you incite a riot, but we're to incite to all kinds of good stuff. That's what we're to be thinking about. Now, let me explain how I experience the stir. Someone says something or does something that's the opposite of what I would normally say or do in the same situation or the opposite of what I just said or did, and I get defensive. So they say something or do something, it makes me defensive, and I, and I get stirred like a washer. You know, I'm in this washing cycle, whatever that cycle's called. And it's agitating. It's irritating. It bothers me. I get defensive, but somewhere in here I know they're right. And I have a choice at this point. I, I decide what I do next. Because what I can do is I can either try to make myself feel better by rationalizing what I've said or done, justifying it, or I can get irritated at whoever challenged me or didn't agree with me or didn't support me, and I can write it off as being picked on. And this is the point at which some people veer off the course when they're stirred. Or I can ask God if I was wrong. Many times I just ask God, God, if I'm wrong, could you show me there? That, that, it, it seems like I am. I hate to admit that, but could you show me? And then ask him for help to get it straightened out. What tends to happen is my mind goes to work on how wrong they are, but I focus on trying to convince myself that I'm right and I, it doesn't really work. So if I'm listening to the Lord, I finally arrive at surrender to him. This happens to me over and over again in church life. I get stirred by an example, by some, something someone says, by the fact that they don't laugh at something I just thought was hilarious. <laughs> Did you not get it? Sometimes I say it again. That's really bad. Because <laughs> then it dies twice. That's not good. Or they react coldly to some comments, and I get agitated. It doesn't feel good. We don't like that. That's why we stay away. That's why we disconnect. But God intends that very thing to be used to motivate us in the right direction. If we disconnect, we're in trouble. We really are. Um, if you aren't connected, you don't get the reward. So we've got to stay connected. That's why it says... Don't neglect meeting together. Keep showing up. It's easy to drift away, but we need to stay connected. And then the last word is encouraging, which means to come alongside and support somebody. We want support. There's two parts to this word. It means 
to come alongside, and the second part means to call or invite them forward, or really to challenge them to step up and do what they need to do. I like the support part. We want the support, but not always the challenge. When somebody scrunches their face at me, you ever say something, somebody scrunches your face, well, what's their problem? You know, they should be a little more pleasant. Well, maybe, maybe they're scrunching your, their face because it's right, and you should read that. And this is what I'm saying to myself, and you, you, know, you may need to say it as well. I need to open up to the challenge that poses and let God speak to me through it if he has something to say. Be open to the stir, to the encouragement, to the challenge. It's good for you. Don't write it off. God may have something to say through it. If you choose to love and do good, this is how we're motivated to do so in a church community, as you connect in friendships. If you choose to, to love and do good, the return on your investment multiplies. It compounds. This is one of the unique ways that God uses the church community in our lives to do this sort of thing. And I'd like to walk through some of the rewards of that. Just if we do, if we live a life of love and good works, if we choose to make small investments in the lives of others as we have opportunity, what happens? What's the result of that? First, good days become a life we can love. I don't have these verses on, on this section in, in, on the screen, but I was reading Psalm 34 one time. <clears throat> it's actually quoted in 1 Peter. I was reading through it, 1 Peter 3, 10 through 12, and it says at the beginning, it says, whoever of you would love life and see many good days? And I thought, hey, that's me. I want to love life. I want to see good days. Had my attention. How many times have you said, have a good day to somebody? Have a good day. I've said, I, said, I used to say that a lot. I've, I've switched phrases now. But I used to say, you know, have a good day. I hope you have a good day. I hope it goes well for you. We want to bless people. Whoever you would love life and see many good days. This is what it says. Keep your lips, um, I, just, I just drew a blank. I'll skip the part I can't remember. Uh, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Pretty simple, right? Natively, I don't want to do any of that. I want to use my tongue to scorch people who don't do what I want them to do. And that's actually the, the, the word evil means that I, I may not want to hurt you, but I will hurt you if you get in my way. I, I will hurt you if you don't do what I want. I will run you over. That's what it means. So if you want to have a bunch of, if you want to have a good life, if you want to love life, stack up a bunch of good days. Keep your tongue from evil, your lips from speaking lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. I don't natively, my heart gravitates toward other things than those. It gravitates toward the, the negative side of those, of those commands. And I need to be in a group of people who consistently motivate me to love and good works. And when I am, I'm blessed by that. It really helps. Second reward, we have someone to pick, pick us up when we fall. We looked at that. Third reward is we're in a training environment that's 
of higher value than a gem. Now, I don't know, <clears throat> I, I would love to find a gym where you could go and just walk inside and, you know, have some punch and cookies and then walk out and be in shape. But I, I, don't, I don't think they have those. You've got to go to the gym, and you go to the gym, you're pumping iron, you're running, you're on the treadmill, whatever it is, you're, you're, you're just, you're working, you're putting in the effort so you can get in shape. Well, the same thing happens in our walk with the Lord in the midst of a church community. The same thing's intended. If you don't put in the effort, you don't grow. In fact, 1 Peter 4, the verse that's connected to this point, it says, train yourself in godliness. It's everybody who's decided to follow Christ. It's your responsibility to get the training. Now, we're to help one another. We do everything we can to provide opportunities for that here at Church in the Valley. But it's your responsibility. And then it says the training in, in godliness or character is of much higher value than physical training as it holds promise for this life and also for the life to come. So it's not only good for heaven, but it's good right here and now. And the kind of growth that you experience in the midst of church life is good for you across the board, at home, at work, at school, in your friendships. It, it's, it's a unique place. The character that grows in us has a high value in every part of our lives. And it brings, point four, increased effectiveness and growth in every way. When, when we do, uh, what we do and learn in church life, what we talk about, it spills over into family life. If we engage and make the effort, it makes a difference at work in the same way and across the board. High value what we learn and the ways that we grow. In the church, we find examples that inspire us and examples we can imitate. The verse, Hebrews 13, 7, gives a major clue as to the people we should learn from. It says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Think about the outcomes. If you want to learn from someone, find out what kind of track record they have. If you want to learn about finances, how have they been wise in the way? Now, there are appearances and then there's what actually goes on. So you need to stick around long enough to find out the truth. Have they been wise in the way they've handled it? If you want to learn about parenting, look at the outcomes. How's it gone? Look for people with long-standing track records. You'll find those in church life. They may not be the stars, but there are people that you can learn from who just get into the Scripture, and they try to do what it says, and it turns out that they grow wise over the years in that. Number six, there's a deep sense of purpose, another reward, a deep sense of purpose. We were created to do good works, and when we do them, we feel God's pleasure. We're blessed by that. There's refreshment. If you do love and good deeds, good works, then you're refreshed. Proverbs says, if you want to be refreshed, aim to refresh others. And then finally, God's blessing. Life is good. It's well. It goes well with us. Small investments in the lives of others compound. And we find a life we can love. If we stack up good days, we find the life. 
I'd like to wrap up the message and offer you an opportunity just to think about what I've talked about this morning, the scriptures that we've looked at. If you would, please pull the connection card out of the program. And um, in a moment, we're going to receive our offering and put it back. You can put that in the offering. That'd be great. But you may want to use this time to fill out any com- information you haven't been able to complete or, or ne- a next step. I don't really have any specific next steps to the message that I'm suggesting to you. So uh, as the band comes up, Andy's going to lead us and I uh, want you to take some time. Just think about what, what should I do as a result of what I've heard this morning? What's a step I should take? And then there are a couple of other steps. Sign up for a life group. Just put the number and the night it's on. We'd love to have you plug into one of those. I think you'll uh, find them a place to develop some friendships that will really be encouraging and helpful to you. And then attend the Church in the Valley preview that's coming up on the 14th. That'd be be great if you'd like to know more about us. You don't have to become a member if you attend, but you can just explore and find out more of who we are at that. But you can let us know on that next step. Drop that in the offering. That'd be great. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for uh, just your truth and in your word that sets us free. And I pray for the strength and the power to take the steps that you've laid on our hearts this morning, God. Help us, help us to live a life that honors you and brings glory to you. And the life that you want us to live, the way you've designed it. And I thank you for the way you bless us in doing what you've made us to do. We honor you and thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.